pass around the sign-in sheet. We'll get it right this week. There you go. Uh, and two offering baskets, one on each side. There you go, John. This will go to Ghana and Westfield House. You know, Pastor Bruzik is heading off to Ghana right after Easter, I think the 18th of April, um, to go meet with the bishop there and do some good. So this will, this will inevitably get back to the Lutheran Church there in Ghana. So fill that up if you've got a couple extra bucks on you. Let's pray, and then we will get started, okay? Five Sundays into Lent. Here we go. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, you have safely brought us to the beginning of this day. Defend us in the same with your mighty power and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings being ordered by your governance may be righteous in your sight through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right, well, a little lighter crowd at spring break. That's good. Oh, you're coming. Great. I caught someone in the way of the law. Uh, so a little lighter crowd. That's all right. You should have a new handout, though. We are going to keep moving along. Um, we'll kind of recap what we talked about last time. Some very helpful comments from some members. I asked, well, one person said right afterwards, you finished up and said, any more questions? And he kind of chuckled and said, any more questions? Like a half dozen questions. Um, so if he's here, I haven't seen him yet, if he's here, ask away. Now's the time. Um, so I'd like to recap just briefly what we talked about last time and then move on to the next good thing. But to get started, are there any questions from last time around? Remember it was James chapter 2? Um, I forget the actual verses. It's on the last page. Page 7 of your outline is a page with just the text, so you can rip that off and be looking at them as we go along. But any questions from the last time around? Okay, all right. Makes me nervous, but that's all right. Here we go. Look at, your, uh, look at your outline. You remember we talked about last week at the very beginning. Hey, Betty. How are you? I like the new glasses. Those are new glasses, right? I know, but you... <laughs> I, I know I said that last time. I was hoping you wouldn't remember that, and you'd say, yes, thank you, Pastor. They are new glasses. Are they new? That's how I care for my parishioners, Betty. Um, from last time, if you, uh, if you get Jesus right, you get the rest of it right. That was Pastor Bruzek's very helpful outline for a few weeks. If you get Jesus right, you get the rest of everything. You get, you get everything else right. And I think I may have said to you last time, um, I used to think that people could just screw certain things in the Christian life up. The Ten Words, the Eucharist, the Christian life, whatever. But I've begun to realize that it's not just misunderstanding the Eucharist, the Ten Words, and the Christian life. It's actually a misunderstanding of Jesus Christ himself. And so it was very helpful for the past three or four weeks that Pastor Bruzek kind of explained to you who Jesus is and how he sets up his church. Because now you can begin to understand who you are in Christ and how you live within that reality, a new reality, a new creation, the church here on earth. Um, so every mistake is a Christological mistake. That is a very important point. All theology, everything we've talked about, is Christology. Every last thing revolves around the person of Christ. So if you don't have Jesus right, you won't get anything else right. 
hopefully we've got Jesus right and we can move on and begin to understand who the Christian is. Hey, Vic, how are you? Great to see you. That was a little strange. Okay, number one, he did nod, that's right. Point number one, the fullness of Christ. This is all from last week, but just kind of work through this with me. To artificially split Jesus, this was Pastor Bruzek's point, is utterly in the way of the law. Yes? Uh, Go ahead. That's all right. Yeah. I think it was, the question he's asking is what exactly, I think you're saying what exactly did you say in reference to Jesus and our faith? I think I said, if faith is dead, then Jesus is dead. Okay. Yeah. That's, well, that's Luther. Okay. Yep, right. Yeah, well, okay. What's your question, Lindsay? Hit us with it. James said that, yep, yep. Yes. Uh, Yeah, it's a good question. The question is, I said two things, which may have appeared to contradict each other. What I said was, faith without works is dead, and if faith is dead, then Jesus is dead. And I also said, God doesn't need your works, your neighbor does. Um, And your question is, wouldn't God need our works? Wouldn't he need our works if without them he were to die? Um... That's a very good question. Um, I think part of the part of that we were just talking about this before the service. Part of the misunderstanding I think that folks have had thus far in talking about James is they instantly begin to think about themselves. Okay, so when we say live the Christian life, do good works, um, God doesn't need your works, your neighbors do. But if you don't have good works, your faith is dead. You instantly begin to think it's all about it's all about me. Okay. Um, And what I tried to push you towards when I said that without faith, Jesus is dead because Jesus is always working, what I'm trying to push you towards, and you'll see this today, so part of this is you're going to get your answer in just a few minutes. You can't separate yourself from Jesus. Okay. So when I said Jesus dies because he's not working, what I mean by that is you and Jesus are so deeply connected that it's not actually you, it's him. But he uses you, your flesh, your blood, your soul, your relationships, your community, your marriage. He uses all of that to do some good. If he can't get any good use out of you, then he's not working. And if he stops working, he ceases to exist. Okay? So does God need his works? Does God need your good works? No, because that's about you and not about him. It's not about you. He works for himself. And he works for the good of others. 
But he, this is the great line from Nowen. Nowen says, in this movie on his life, he says, he loved us long before we were born, and he'll love us long after we're dead. But for the short time span that we're here on Earth, he gives us a chance to love him back and to love others. Okay? So you've got this very short period of time on Earth, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years, where the Lord gives you the chance to do some good, but it's really not you, it's Jesus Christ himself. Okay? It's not about you. That makes sense? Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll continue. I mean, you'll get to this in the, tech, in the outline for today. Uh, but it's not a contradiction. It's always about someone else. The, be, the moment you begin to say it's about me, it becomes self-regarding. Uh, and when it becomes self-regarding, it's sin. Okay? Was there another question? Not anymore. Okay, good. So, the fullness of Christ, to artificially split Jesus, is in the way of the law. You are forcing him to be what he is not. There is one Christ, divine and human, two natures, who speaks his one word, law and gospel, and does his one work, justification and sanctification, to recreate his one creation, heaven on earth, right now, Eucharist, and someday, heaven in heaven. If you get that right, then you might just get the Christian right. There is a fullness, a totality to the Christian. To artificially split the Christian, to artificially split yourself, works versus faith, sinner versus saint, um, justification versus sanctification, to artificially split yourself is utterly in the way of the law. You are forcing yourself to be something that you are not. There is one Christian, this is you, sinner and saint, same time, simul, eustus, et peccator, it says in the Latin, simultaneously sinner and saint, who is redeemed in one way, justification and sanctification. It's all Jesus, it's all redemption, and pushed out to live one life, faith and works. And so what we learned from James, especially last week, was that he's been trying to nudge his congregation and nudge us toward living in the fullness of their humanity. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but sin actually makes you subhuman. This is N.T. Wright, Simply Christian. Sin actually makes you subhuman because sin breaks community. And what human beings are meant for, what they're intended to be, is community. And anything less than that is subhumanity. Okay? So sin makes you subhuman. Forgiveness restores you to the fullness of your humanity. Rejoice in your body. Rejoice in the gifts of creation. In a sense, all of creation is sacramental because all of it has been touched by the image of God. And even in created things, even in matter, even in those things, you can see and you can hear an echo of the voice himself, the voice being Jesus. So rejoice in those things. And what he's trying to do is, is push you toward living in the fullness of your humanity, particularly as those joined to the flesh of Christ. All the things that we've said so far, they are all heresy if you don't begin with the fact that you and Jesus are one and the same. That is a reality. And there, for some reason, and it's not just Lutherans, but for some reason, there's this notion that somehow, you know, Jesus is out there with his body and the Holy Spirit's in my body and isn't it great because my soul's been redeemed and Jesus is out there with his body. That is not it. There is no disconnect between you and Christ. 
St. Paul says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And that doesn't mean spiritually, I have Jesus in my heart. That is physical and tangible. You know, we've got a baptism at 11.15. That kid is going to come here not joined to Jesus, and he's going to leave one flesh with Christ himself. He's also, along with nudging you to live in the fullness of your humanity, pushing you to rejoice in the faith that was given to you as a gift and the gift which is given to others through their works. Faith finds its fulfillment. This is, the tech, this is where James cites Abraham. Faith finds its fulfillment, its telos, its Christological end in the daily living of the Christian life. Okay? Faith comes to be all that was intended by God to be when it is joined to a life of good works. Without it, you're sub-Christian. Without it, you're sub-Christian. So listen to Luther then. He, Jesus, fills us. Fills us with what? Himself, his faith. Remember the subjective genitive in Galatians? It's not your faith, it's Christ's faith. And faith, as James pointed out, is Christ. That was the Nagel bit. I won't talk about faith, I'll talk about Jesus. Or Luther, faith formed by Christ. He, Jesus, fills us in order that everything that he is, everything, and everything he can do might be in us in all its fullness and work powerfully so that we might be divinized throughout, made divine, not having only a small part of God, he's got his big toe, his right hand, or merely some parts of him, but having, him, having all his fullness, so that all you say and all you think and everywhere you go, in sum, all your life is throughout divine. The fullness of Christ in the fullness of the Christian. Okay? Look at your next page there. Yes. Roman Catholic. Yeah. Maybe for you, because you're very, you know, you got lots of faith, you got lots of Jesus. Did, I think it was, was it you that I said you and Jesus are one and the same? And you said, no, we're not. And I said, yes, you are. Um, the, yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Halo type. Um, that may be true, but it certainly wasn't the case. That, that is true. That's the way the Lord intends his, his gifts to work. So let's just let's, let's, clean up, let's clean up the language a little bit. Let's just say, instead of saying, I've got faith, because then it sounds like you just got to have faith, right? Why don't you say, I've got Jesus, and all that Jesus has got, right? Because remember from Galatians, it's not your faith, it's 
Jesus faith. So you've got Jesus, yes. So you, yeah, yeah it, it's all, but not just the Holy Spirit, it's a tangible, concrete Jesus. He resides in your flesh, okay? So you've got Jesus, and Jesus can't help but do good deeds. So if, he's, if you've got Jesus, he's going to be working and active and so on and so forth. But with the congregation to whom James is writing, there are some people that claim to have faith but aren't living the Christian life. And so the point is, if you have living faith, if you have a living Jesus, you have living good deeds. And this is why he says, without good works, faith is neklos, it's dead, which means it really is no faith at all. Okay? So you've got Jesus, and Jesus does good deeds in and through you. I think you're, what you're trying to push us towards, which is helpful, is the same thing that Kleinig says, which is, don't talk about good deeds or good works, talk about enactment or embodiment which really takes the onus off you and puts it on Jesus, which is the answer to Lindsay's question. It's not about you, it's about Christ, okay? This is, this is um, you know, Richard John Newhouse on his, on his deathbed, he wrote uh, one of the last paragraphs in his Higher Things section, um, in the public square it was called. He was, I mean, he wrote like 10,000 words a you know, month, which is unbelievable. And he wrote this column at the very end and he references a book that he wrote when he had cancer the first time, which was called As I Lay Dying. And in that book, um, he's got a great section where he says something to the effect of, any good that I was permitted to do, right? Which puts the verbs on who? Not on him, on Jesus. I will give thanks for them, okay? And that's the way, that's the way, that's what we're trying to get to. It's not about you, it's about Jesus. Any good I'm permitted to do, I will give extreme thanks. Yeah, that's not what James is saying. All he's saying is, it's evidence of the fact that you have Jesus. Okay? <laughs> you do? Your, your wife never said that. Well, that goes back to your husband's Bible study three weeks ago. Thankfully, I've got the outline right here. Let's see what he says. Um, partly because, you know, uh, well, I've never known you to be a sinner, first of all, except for when we golfed together. Um, and you weren't even golfing. You were just riding in a cart. Uh, that was a joke. No one, this group is not that funny, you know? I can't, just you and I know what we're talking about. Jesus gives you himself full blast, but you're still full blast children of Adam and Eve, okay? And so when... Um, all the good you're permitted to do is all because of Jesus, and all the bad that you actually do is all because of yourself and your connection to Adam and Eve. This is the simile used to, at Peccator. Simultaneously completely a sinner and simultaneously completely a saint. And there are times, you know, you're, you're connected to the body of Christ. There are times, however, when you say to Jesus, I'm going to run on my own steam. I'm going I'm to have it my way. And for a moment, you turn your back or you step outside of the life of Christ, and that's, that's what sin is. This is why, at its core, sin is not just missing the mark, it's breaking community. And the community is you and Jesus. That's the community. Okay? So there are times, you know, the greatest heresy is Burger King, have it your own way. Because sometimes he'll let you. He's not going to force you to do anything. Right? I mean, even Pharaoh, uh, and this is the sermon from Wednesday with the snake, 
Pharaoh doesn't, he, it says in the English, he hardens Pharaoh's heart. Actually, in the Hebrew, it says Pharaoh hardens his own heart. The Lord doesn't force you to do anything. If you say to him, I want to do it my way now, he'll say, okay, that's really what you want. And that's what sin is. You're going to have it your own way for a few minutes. That makes sense? Everyone okay with that? You okay with that? Yeah. You look like you're going to raise your hand and add something. There's bad fill and good fill. Yeah. We just, we're hoping for more of the good fill than the bad fill. Well, yeah, we encourage. And and the hope, yeah. And the hope is, the hope is, as you grow in years and spiritual maturity, there's more of the good fill than the bad fill. Right. And if you ever do anything good, it's Jesus' fault. If you ever do anything bad, it's your fault. Yeah. If you're, if you're, I said to the joy group once, if you're saved, it's all because it's all Jesus' fault. I said, and if you're damned, it's your own damn fault. That's really how it works with good works and sin. If, there are anything, if there's anything good done, it's all Jesus' fault. And if there's anything bad done, it's your own damn fault. Okay? Whenever you want to run by Kleinig, I mean, Kleinig's, Kleinig is phenomenal. He's going to be here, you know, in October or September. But the point is, whenever you run by your own steam, it's sin. Whenever you run by Jesus' steam, it's gift, it's gospel, it's good works. Don't get scared. I know, they don't talk this way in Bingen, but we're, trying to, we're trying, to, trying to move you forward a little bit. All right, so page two then. Does that make sense? Does that answer all your questions? Well, flee temptations, the scripture says. Flee temptation. You know it's, there are sometimes when you get caught by surprise, but there are, I mean, oftentimes, how do you try, the question is, how do you run not by your own steam? When you see it come and run the other way. Right? When you see it coming, move out. And you can oftentimes see it coming. Step away, Step away yeah. <laughs> you know, sin, it's like they say on Sports Center, you can't stop it. You can only hope to contain it. And that's what we're trying to do. So flee temptation, and don't just flee anywhere, flee to Christ. And Christ is, there are specific places where he's at. You flee to those spots. If you were comfortable enough, you'd probably have the objective rather than the subjective. <laughs> Well, yeah, there's an objective standard for good fill and bad fill, right. which is Christ. And that's just give it with that word. Yeah, right. And deliver repeatedly and immediately. Because, because we have this confusion about, about what's good and bad. I mean, our biggest problem is we can't tell right or wrong. Right. If it's Jesus saying, do not deserve, yep. how can we fill it? That's a bit like asking, yeah, uh, so certainly, the an short answer is yes, he is strong enough, um, but he does nothing by force. Force is always in the way of the law. So if he forces you to do something, even if it be something good, he's worked outside of his nature. And he can't, by nature, work outside of himself. So yeah, he could force you to do anything. 
He could force you to never sin again. He could force you to sin the rest of your life. But then he wouldn't be Jesus. And you wouldn't be human. You'd be a puppet or a robot. So humanity, this is the fullness of humanity. This is, I mean, people oftentimes mistake this. Yeah, your will is bound and you're damned before you're baptized. But once you're baptized, your will is free and you can actually see good and evil and you can, you can choose the right thing and you can choose the wrong thing. But, the, but what, what determines right and wrong is the objective standard. Jesus and Jesus then embodied in the ten words. Or even better, Jesus embodied in the Beatitudes. That's your objective standard for living. And if he forces you to do that, then he's not Jesus and you're not human. You're just hoping to die, right? Yes, I am hoping to die. <laughs> I'd take that as a gift. I, I'd take it right now, actually. Uh, yeah. That's the only, that's only way you can escape it. Well, yeah. I just talked to someone this week, and, and they were a former Catholic, and they said, what do Lutherans believe about purgatory? I said, we believe in purgatory right now. <laughs> right? <laughs> this, this is Luther's great. I know, and I'm not making that up. That's Luther's thing. This life is purgatory. So the great, the great deliverance for the Christian, this is why we call it a blessed death. The great deliverance for a Christian is to die in the arms of Christ. That's deliverance for a Christian. Um, I was thinking about Ray Newberg this morning, or last night. You know, we were here, we had a memorial yesterday, and I was thinking about him. Because you could always, you could always see him walk in with his White Sox hat on. And he always sat right back there, about three rows from the back. And to not have him there, you know, is a very, it's like going to, it's like going to, you know, Thanksgiving dinner at your, at your relative's house and someone's not at the table. Now, the hope for the Christian is you know that he's at the table, except now he sees Jesus face to face. Um, and then, his, you know, his family, they have a little almost eulogy downstairs. And I never knew old Ray loved Chinese food. If I knew Ray loved Chinese food, I would have taken him out for Chinese food. But, you know, that is, that's, that's the Christian life. That was a blessed death. Okay? And right now, uh, he only runs by Jesus' steam. Because it's at the Eucharist, it'll have no end. He'll, he's always in contact with his gifts. Okay? Yes. It doesn't force you to do anything. Everything is an invitation. I mean, I could force you to do a lot of good stuff. But that wouldn't be in the way of the gospel. Wouldn't be in the way of the gospel. He doesn't just, and we have to drop force. He invites you to join his life. But you can say you'll have it another way, and he may just let you do that. Okay? He invites you into his life, but if you really want something else, he might just let you have it. That's Pharaoh. Or that's the snakes. In the Hebrew it says, not that he sent the snakes, he let them go. It's very different. They said, we want the snakes. And he said, are you really, you really sure about that? Yeah, yeah, we want the snakes. Why did you give us this, this we loathe this worthless food. And for a moment, he holds back the arms of his mercy and lets them have what they want.
Yep. So if you stop right there, then it's perfect. If you stop right there, then it's perfect. Without Jesus, you don't do any good. Without Jesus, you don't do any good. However, you don't cease to exist in that relationship. If you cease to exist, then it would be by force. You'd be a robot. He was pushing around. Go love that woman. Go do some good over there. You don't cease to exist. And so you're... Go ahead. Well, here's the thing. I think we have to clean up the notion. What we've been told that the machine you're doing right now is very helpful. It gives you a whole new system that gives you a better direct direction of mass transfer. Right. But when we run directions, we choose standard out the tangent style. Right. Like, hey, 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 we're over there. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Let's have a Eucharist. There's a baptism over there. There's some hungry people. There's a leper. Somebody catch that Jesus <laughs> over there. He's busy, busy, busy. And it's and you either sort of like fall in line as followers. Oh, yeah, can I help you with the demon? Grab that leper over there. Yeah, right. When you wake up into the Eucharist. Right. See, this is just what Christians do. And if you're not doing it, James says, I swear I'll turn you along. It's, yeah, it is, um, and, and I know, I'm not even going to look because someone's going to roll their eyes. I know, I'm going to keep looking this way. I've said this, I've said this, I've said this about a hundred times. Okay, I'll look now. It all. You can see this most clearly in the Annunciation to Mary. Mary doesn't have it. It's not a yes or no for Mary. The offer is so irresistible that she can't help but say yes to it. And we'll look at this in just a moment, because what, what Paul is going to say is it comes by hearing, which is the Annunciation. The offer is so irresistible. When the Lord says, you're a damn pagan, and I baptize you at the font, that kid wakes up, and the offer is so irresistible, it's hard to say no. Okay. Well, in a sense, you can. How could you? The only answer is let it be unto me. Is guilt and shame? Say that again. Yeah, guilt is oftentimes the response to saying, to saying, no, I'm not going to come along with you. However, I think shame is more powerful than guilt. And sometimes shame is because sometimes you say no and it breaks community and that's public. And then, right, yeah. Right. And even guilt, even guilt, yeah, even guilt in a sense is self-regarding, so you know you've done something. Someone else had their hand up, right? Yes. Yeah. Doesn't. Does it? It doesn't. Uh, the question is. Uh, 
I guess when I said, does anybody have any questions, I really didn't expect you to have any questions. <laughs> That's how it is most weeks. Uh, and today we're, we're through, I'm very, I'm very happy we're through point one and a half. This has been great. Marie, can we move this thing along a little bit? Come on now. Uh, the question is, what role does the age of accountability play in baptism? Um, uh, <laughs> see, now that's not, that's not nice. Don't do that. Uh, the, I'm sorry. What role, or what, 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 yeah, what role does the age of accountability play in baptism? Um, you're accountable from the moment you're conceived. You're what? You're accountable from the moment you're conceived. So, any, any, uh, again, the simple thing, this is what Pastor Bruzik is so helpful with. The primary law gospel mistake um, is to think that you have any part in the verbs of salvation. You don't. You have every part in the verbs, verbs of condemnation. Accountability, death, sin, that's all you. Gift, blessing, baptism, that's all Jesus. You and Jesus are not like two players on a football team where he says, go about 20 yards and I'll hit you with a slant. It's not how he works. He says, get on my back and I'm going to carry you across the goal line. Okay? It's all about Jesus. So age of accountability, you're accountable from the moment you're conceived. I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, the psalmist says. Okay. Anything else? Yes. We haven't gotten to your answer because there are other people asking questions. <laughs> Believe me, I was trying to get there. It's on page four, but we're not there yet. Good. Ask him then. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, it's a couple. It's a, it's a couple things. One, everybody needs to, and I, and I don't take, please don't take this critically because I'm not. It's, a, it's a great you actually said this because I can use it as an example. Everybody needs to stop beginning with themselves. Okay, part of the trouble is, yeah, the devil's at work. The devil's the great deceiver. Um, you know, he he. As I said in the in the sermon for the first Wednesday in Lent, he's one long belly. He's always out to get you. Um, but part of it is everybody always thinks about themselves. And so we've gotten so self-consumed that we define right and wrong by what we think right and wrong are. It is not about you, with all due respect. It's not about you. It's not about me. I don't determine what right and wrong is, and neither do you. Jesus does. And so the problem is the reason we can't tell right from wrong is because we are so self-consumed. And what that leads to is we claim that we've been sinned against or that we've even sinned when there's no sin involved. If there's no sin, there's no guilt, there's no apology need needed, move on. But we talk all about ourselves. I've been hurt. I've been wrong. And you say, really? Can you show me that? Well, no. That's what I feel. 
Well, then it's all about you again. If we could just for, for a moment say, it's all about Jesus. It's all about what Christ says. Don't worry about doing good works. Worry about reading what Jesus says. Maybe for a moment, we'd actually begin to live the Christian life the way he intends it and be able to tell right from wrong. Okay? That was a... I raised my voice a little so you're going to think I'm all over you. I'm not. It's actually very helpful that you said that because it is about the devil. Here's what the devil does. The devil whispers in your, your ear and says, it's all about you. And you say, wow, it is all about me. And now right and wrong are defined by what you think or what you feel. That's completely anti-Christ. So it's all about saying, what is Jesus like? What is Jesus saying? What is Jesus standard? Ten words. If you can't find sin in Jesus' objective standard, it's not sin. And so there's no guilt, and so you keep playing along with Jesus like nothing happened. Does that make sense? It's very difficult, because part of it is, I know you, and I know that you're trying to get it right. And so it's not so much about you getting it wrong, it's about the devil working extra hard, right? But there are some people, that's not what's happening. So it's a little, this is case by case, you know, all law gospel specific. So for you, it's going to be different than for someone else who's here or someone else who's not here. But the point is, it's not about you is the message. When you don't think you're doing enough, it's not about you. It's okay. Anything else to add to that? Okay. Uh, let's, any other questions? Oh, you know, you were the one, you are, keep going. Just a point of clarification. Yeah. And Dr. Phil. Bad show, yeah. And then we have in Matthew 25, whatever is the least of these yeah. brothers of mine should give to me. Yeah. So uh, before our baptism, outside of the family of Christ, after baptism, official baptism. Yep. And now it's Jesus and everybody prior to baptism? Just to clarify that. Is Jesus in everybody prior to baptism? Um, I think in, Ma in Matthew's gospel, the end of Matthew, where he talks about whatever you did unto the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. I don't think he's there making the distinction between Christians and pagans. I think he's making a distinction like James is making. Faith is active in the Christian life. And there are some people... Um, there are some people who are in that, in, that, in that instance are claiming to be Christian but are doing nothing unto the brethren of Jesus. So it's not, like, it's not like they're pagans and they have Jesus in them. They're claiming to be Christians and maybe even were caught up in the ministry of Jesus but haven't lived the life that he's called them to live. And at the last day, I mean, that's the determining factor. I once said in a sermon, um, what did I say you told me this the other day? I said it in a sermon about good works. Maybe you don't know. Uh, good works are... I didn't say necessary. Yeah, I don't know if I led with many of you Lutherans. <laughs> would be surprised to know. But I think I did say <laughs> perception, reality. <laughs> I know, I take the point. I don't think I said many of you Lutherans. I think I. Yeah. 
<laughs> there are more Lutherans at nine, so I don't think I... Yeah, and that's the point. I mean, the point is, you've got to read... Gosh, I wish we could get this, because now we're going to take two weeks off, but it's okay. We're going to get to the context in which these people are writing and speaking. You have to read everything in its proper context. Even, even everything Lutheran, the Confessions, everything. Paul is writing to a group of people that are being told that conversion depends on good works. Conversion. That's why he says, we'll see this in a, in a, few, in a few weeks, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? That's a reference to conversion. That's a reference to baptism. That's not what James is saying. James is saying, you've received the Spirit, you've got faith, now live the Christian life. Okay? They're addressing two different issues. Paul's church is being told, you become a Christian by good works. James' congregation is being told, uh, they're being told, you don't have any good works. Are you really a Christian? It's a different issue. And it's the same thing, I think, the latter, in Matthew's Gospel. You've got all these people who are running around claiming to be Christians, but aren't living the Christian life. And so Jesus then says to them, whatever you did, um, and again, it's not perception. People perceive they didn't do anything. This is to Melba's point of, I don't even know that I'm doing good. You're right, you don't know. If you know you're doing good works, they're not good works, at least not the kind the Lord rewards you for. They say, when did we do this? If you did it unto the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. So I don't think the distinction is between, between pagan and Christian, as in pre-baptized and post-baptized. I think it's in the <coughs> congregation of believers, some living the Christian life and some not. Because that's his congregation. Those are his followers, right? Mm -hmm. And that's to whom he's speaking. So it's more in the context of James than Galatians. Because that comes, I mean, the hinge of Matthew's Gospel is the Sermon on the Mount. And James' epistle is really a, uh, it's, it's a reiteration of the Sermon on the Mount. Anything else? Yes. I know you do. Can you give us some data on the bad fill? Yeah, right. Well, Uh, yes, I can give you a two-second answer, and then we'll come back to that. Um, the Lord can get on you in many ways. Forehead, ear, and mouth. Now, usually, it works in roughly that order. Sometimes, however, it works in a different order. This is why the catechumenate was so helpful for us. We had many people who weren't baptized. I would never say to any of them, as they walked in the door for their first week, uh, you're all pagans, and none of you know Jesus, because that's not true. Jesus uh, can work via the ear even before he works via the forehead. So even, and this is something you may not know, but even Luther's great, and we'll see this, the way Lutherans have always understood baptism is not that uh, the first moment that the Lord touches them is when the pastor splashes water on their forehead, but actually in the reading of the gospel at the rite of baptism, at that moment, Jesus is already beginning to crawl in through their ear. Because every gift Every gift, including baptism, is received by faith. 
So at some moment in this baptismal rite, could be as the water splashing him, could be as the Lord speaking to him, faith is active, ready to receive the gift. Okay? Does that make sense? So in every circumstance, child or adult, faith receives the gift. Now for Phil, he had faith for a bit longer than many kids do before he came to baptism. Okay? That doesn't mean he's an unbeliever. It just means he hadn't received the fullness of the Lord's gifts, what he intends for his creation. Make sense? So yeah, he was a bad fill, but he was also kind of a good fill because the Lord may have crawled in through his ear. Yeah, I'm sure he did. Anything else? Speak now. Yeah. The you Lutherans part? No. Oh. <laughs> That faith, what did I say? That good works, say it again, Dave. <laughs> For some reason, you recall, you recall this sermon, and I don't recall it at all. <laughs> Though the, that your salvation is dependent upon what you do and how you live. What I was saying is precisely what James is saying, which is faith without works is dead. And so if you're not, if there's no good works, you really don't go to the, go to the Go to the very page six of your outline. I'll read this, and then we'll go back in and fill in the gaps. I'm sorry we're going over, but this will be helpful. I don't want you to think I'm a heretic for three weeks. Page six, try this, okay? I'm going to give you Paul in Galatians and James um, all in one bit here. Jesus saves, no doubt about it. Not about you, it's about Jesus. He saves by delivering himself to you through his gifts, altar, pulpit, and font. He is received with an open hand. It's not about you. You don't choose him. You don't ask for him. He's received with an open hand, like a kid on Christmas morning. And a hearty, thank you very much. Amen. He alone saves because he is pure gift, purely for you. The problem plaguing the Galatian church. How are you saved? Yet, okay, now this gets to the point of my sermon, Kirby. Yet, from the very moment that Jesus touches you and heals you and saves you, he joins himself to you in a concrete, tangible, life-giving way. You are one and the same. And begins to do his good gifting through you. Now you are a means of grace. Doing good works, then, is simply evidence that Christ has joined himself to you and that he is having his way with you. If there is no evidence, then there may not be a Christ present. And if there is not a Christ present, then there may not be faith. And if there is not faith, then we are dead. That makes sense? It's simply evidence that the Lord has given you the gift of his son. Then, exactly. And that is what Jesus is saying in, in Matthew 25. They've received the gift, but all their life looks like they haven't received the gift. Okay. All right, here we go. Let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Thank you for all the questions. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. <laughs>